if you want to drive a digital transformation and you're the only one in the room that really understands social media or marketing on, on Google or Python programming or AI or machine learning, whatever you want to say, you know, that's not, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to scream at people and sit at the, at the head of the table, but I get my power because I have certain expertise that no one has that is a valued attribute in that group or in that context. Hello and welcome back to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. This week's guest on Management Cast is IMD's Jennifer Jordan. Jennifer is a social psychologist and is Professor of Leadership and Organizational Behavior at IMD. Her teaching, research and consulting focus is on the areas of digital leadership, ethics, influence, and the subject of today's episode, which is power. She's received specialized training and certifications in lie and truthfulness detection, as well as in conflict resolution within organizations. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi there, John. Happy to be here. So, Jennifer, as mentioned, you're going to be talking about power today. And I think for a lot of our listeners who've been listening to the show, they might wonder where we're going to start with this, because power has such a sort of broad set of connotations right within organizations. So can we just start by focusing this down a bit, narrowing it down? What is power to you? So I would say power is two things, right? Power in the very classic sense is merely control over valued resources. Do you control things that other people want? And now those things could be money. Those things could be people's attention. Those things could be property in a a very physical sense. Those things could be the futures of other people. So, So John, so on a personal level, power would be defined as the ability to do what you want without asking permission from others. And so let's break that down a bit. There's power. There's also influence. And there are variations of of these themes. So what's the difference between these two things? That's a great question. So power, as I said, is control over things other people want or valued resources. Um, You would say then that influence, I define it quite differently, is the ability to get another person or persons to a place of common good or shared purpose. So you can do that through motivating, through enabling them, through... um, affecting their mindset, affecting their behavior, and then hoping to affect their mindset. But I really distinguish, you know, power is the mere control over things people want. Influence is getting other people to a place or to an endpoint. And now with influencing, you would hope it would be an endpoint that is good for both you and them, a mutually beneficial endpoint. And that differentiates it from manipulation, which is getting people or a person to an endpoint that is good for you, but harmful for the other. And that is where I mean, we can talk about power can lead to influence for sure, but power can also lead very easily to manipulation. Whenever I've come to IMD professors before to ask about what their area of specialization is, I've been struck by a great enthusiasm that every IMD professor has for their particular area, whether that's been cybersecurity, whether it's been AI. Uh, Jennifer, I'm kind of interested to know what interests you about the study of power? It's a great question. And John, I've been studying power explicitly, like through my research since 2007, so quite a while now. And I think what fascinates me about power is is two things. The first thing is that it is the unspoken currency in any group or organization. It is what makes things happen, what makes people listen to others or not listen to them, discard them. And then the second thing that fascinates me about it, I guess, is that part of the unspoken nature of it is that we know it operates in every domain of our lives, at work, 
at school, in our relationships, in our marriages, but we don't really talk about it. And, and we don't talk about it for two reasons. One, I think we don't really, not everyone has a language to talk about it, but also power can be really a taboo subject. You know, depending on the country you're in or the history of the country or the culture that you're in, power can be seen as sort of a dirty word. And let's get into that. Has power always been a dirty word or has that changed over the last few decades or, or did it change perhaps even further back than that? I would say that it really changed post-World War II. I mean, if you go, I, I lived in Germany for a while and even the German word for leader, which is Führer, was not a word that was ever discussed, even though that's leader, right? That's not power just because of the history. And I think, you know, in the Western world, we tended, and this differs, right? I would say I'm an American, and Americans are pretty positively obsessed with power. You can go to other countries, for example, the relationship with power in France and Germany and Italy, these, these places are geographically, or the Netherlands, let's say, are geographically quite close, but they have very different conceptualizations and comfort with, with power. So I wouldn't say that it has just changed in the last decade or a couple decades. I think the change happened quite a while ago. And I think this change is really diverse based on the geography that you're in or the context that you're in. And so if the geography and the context are so integral to determining who has power in any given situation, it stands to reason that you need to take a different approach to recognizing the powerful person in the room in, let's say, a new boardroom or when dealing with a new client. That is one of the most important things to understand about power. The most important things to know about power is that power is 100% contextually related or contextually linked. And you can have power in one domain and you can have no power in another domain. So think about, you know, if you are a CEO, right, you would say, okay, you have a lot of power in your organization, but then you might walk off the job and on Saturday morning play in a football team and maybe be the beginner on that team, the least skilled, and you have no power. And so it is completely domain specific. And not to say like, I know a lot of CEOs that have time to be playing football on Saturday morning, but it is theoretically possible, I suppose. When it comes to the application of power, do you think that there is a kind of syntax which people can use, which makes it more palatable? I think there's a lot of people who will hear this, right? This, this kind of conversation about power, and they'll think back to a kind of Wolf of Wall Street or perhaps further back, a kind of Gordon Gecko kind of character who's walking into boardrooms, throwing their weight around, being the kind of cock of the walk, right? Is this the kind of power you're talking about, the kind of overt power? Are you talking about power in a more sort of generalized sense, uh, a, a way of uh, uh, moving things within an organization without necessarily being what people think of as being a kind of typical version of a powerful business executive right. in the boardroom? Well, I mean, the first thing you, to say, John, that you mentioned two males. So you could say like there's a certain, you know, male way maybe of using power. There's like, And I think you also mentioned two very stereotypical kind of archetypes of the businessman or whatever you want to say. So I mean, those are definitely ways of using power and types of power that they used. But you can also think about a much softer power, right? Power can be expertise, right? You come in there. And you know more, and I see this in the digital world, right? It's, it's a very much of a meritocracy in the sense that like, if you want to drive a digital transformation and you're the only one in the room that really understands social media or marketing on, on Google or Python programming or AI or machine learning, whatever you want to say, you know, that's not, I'm gonna walk in and I'm gonna scream at people and sit at the, at the head of the table, but I get my power because I have certain expertise that no one has that is a valued attribute in that group or in that context. You could also say, I mean, if we want to take it to the, you know, I used to study mathematics, right? And, and in math, you learn that 
to test the theory, you always want to test the extremes, right? And we could take the extreme to say, you know, what does somebody look like who had extreme influence, but very little power? So in, in the classic sense, right? So we could say like, for, if you want to look at Nelson Mandela, you would say he was a very powerful figure, but over two and a half decades being imprisoned, you would say in a very classic sense, he had no power, right? Because he couldn't even decide on his own, like no ability to control his own destiny and his own actions without asking permission from others. So you would say in that sense, he, has, he had no personal power, right? But his power came through his words and his ideas and that they were very, his ability to connect with other people. So you definitely can have a lot of power without having that classic, call it the Gordon Gecko model of power, right? And, and that's certainly, I distinguish three things when I, when I teach and I talk about power. One is status, which is the recognition that others have of your power, right? So I can be, I'm gonna take a stupid example. I can be the best violinist in the world. I am not. Um, but let's imagine I was the best violinist in the world and I walk into an IMD classroom to teach about the five forces. Now, no one's going to care that I'm the best violinist in the world. Now, if I want to go in and play on the stage of the Lucerne Festival Orchestra, then they might care and that might have power, right? So it is very much, as we mentioned earlier, context relevant, that kind of archetype of, of the powerful businessman, and I want to say man there, is one way of using power, but it is only one way out of a multitude of different ways of, of exercising one's power. So what I'm hearing is that status represents the recognition of power. You mentioned other aspects. What's next? We then go to leadership, right? And ultimately at IMD, we're teaching people how to become leaders, which is using your power for the good of others and to actually further a beneficial agenda. So merely having power, you can be a power wielder. And we can think about many political leaders who were very good at wielding their power, but not very good at being leaders and also business leaders, right? Doing it very much for their own self-aggrandizement, doing it very much for their self-benefit at the expense of others. I call those people power wielders. They use their power very well. They are not leaders. And those two are, are two different things. You study leadership and power. These are two big areas for you. Can you tell me a bit more about the diff defining differences between these two things? So when I say we, you know, I mean this community of, of scholars on the topic of power. What I would say there is that power, if you have power, it makes leadership much easier. How do I define leadership? I'm going to use the definition of, of someone else. I didn't come up with this definition, but I really like it. It is the ability to motivate, enable, and influence people to reach a common good or a shared purpose. And now, obviously, influencing, motivating people is helpful when you have some power. That could be expertise-based power. Um, that could be hierarchical power. That could be ally power. You have other people that are powerful that are backing you. That could be network centrality power. You, you're a central node in the network and people have to go through you to get things done or to get to get two things that they need. So certainly power helps your leadership. But I like to give with that example with Mandela, like you can be a leader. You can motivate, influence, and enable people without necessarily having those classic bases of power available to you or even any control over your own, your own physical destiny at that moment. So going back to those examples you've given, Mandela, world leaders, and then the examples I gave, I guess the reason I was asking about the kind of Gordon Gecko, Wolf of Wall Street kind of ideas was I'm wondering whether or not these popular culture figures, right, these sort of pastiches, almost of what a powerful person could look like. Is this what's influencing uh, people to kind of misunderstand power? 
Do you think that these kind of ideas about heteronormative, you know, male power figures, do they cause people to have a negative view of what power is? Is that what's influencing things? Are these pastiche kind of figures relevant nowadays? Or do you think that uh, people have moved on from this kind of thing? I think people have moved on in the sense that that is not what most workers, employees want to be leading them, that kind of model. But I think that model still, or that pastiche, as you would like to say, still exists in many, many organizations in the world. I mean, I've never worked on Wall Street, but I've heard many stories of, of leaders there that, you know, coming in and slamming your fist at the table uh, or screaming at people is is still a way of, of yielding one's power. I'm going to maybe not call that person a leader. I don't know. I, I think I would have to understand the story a little bit more. Do I think that's still why why people sometimes still associate the word power with that image is I think it, it's, you know, it, it's provocative, right? And people like, you know, I, I, I also study ethics. And I was especially post, post Enron, post WorldCom, and I'm American, so these really stuck in my mind. I was always surprised at how much the news was willing and ready to advertise or to put light on. So many examples of where leaders did unethical things, but the times when leaders really did ethical, benevolent things were completely overlooked. I think it's because, right, these, these things are, are scandalous and they're interesting and they, they make us feel better about ourselves as well, right? When we look at leaders that use their power poorly, we're like, you know, look at how good we are. So I think it also provides this negative comparison, which makes us feel more positive, right? So does that still exist? Absolutely. Is that what most people, especially millennials and Gen Zs, want in their leaders? I could include Gen Xers in there as well. Probably not. Is that what they're willing to tolerate? Probably not. Do those type of archetypes or those types of power wielders still get our attention and make us focus on them? Uh, yes, they do. So, okay, Jennifer, you've defined power and given Management Cast listeners a few different ways to think about this. But before we finish, I want to nail down the most important aspect of power for you. So to uh, put that another way, if someone came to your class with a fundamental misunderstanding of what power is, what is the one thing you would want to impart to them? What would you like them to leave knowing? That's a great question. I would say, I don't know if this is what they don't understand about it, but I would say that this is one thing that's really critical to understanding power. I mentioned already that power is context-specific. That's a very important one. So we'll put that one aside, right? You can have power in one domain and completely lack power in another domain if you like. The other one I would say is that power, social and power is dynamic. So unless you are in maybe a complete dictatorship, although we saw, you know, with the Arab Spring and many other countries around the world, even absolute power can fall surprisingly quickly. But power is social. So power cannot exist in a social vacuum. People give you power through the recognition or through the control of resources that you have that they want. If they stop wanting those resources, you no longer have power. And that's what makes it dynamic as well is that it's constantly always changing. And people do remarkably interesting things when they feel like their power is, is questioned or is unstable or it is at risk, it is threatened. So when people's power is threatened, they start to react. And that reaction can be quite violent in some ways, maybe not physically violent, but uh, intellectually or, or emotionally violent. Okay, Jennifer, thank you so much. I think that's a really great place to stop for now. I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show this week. My pleasure. Thanks, John. Jennifer Jordan is a social psychologist and a professor of leadership and organizational behavior at IMD. 
Next time on the show, we'll be speaking again about how to build power within your organization. Thanks so much. Looking forward to speaking with you next time. You've been listening to the Management Cast from IMD. For more to read, you can go to iBarIMD online, which offers exclusive business intelligence and interviews with the brightest minds in the industry, written by experts for experts.